I want to look at the greatness of Christ. What the Scriptures, depending on your translation, says the preeminence of Christ. That He is first and foremost. And the things that the Bible has to say about Jesus. I think we're often in a threat where the world tells us Jesus was merely a great teacher. That He was just a moral leader like many others. And He is so much more than that. And what we see here in the Scriptures is that we get a glorified picture of who our Savior is, the one who died on our behalf. He didn't just die to be an example of what a good man does for a great cause. He did more than that. And we see that exemplified here in the greatness of Christ. And when we understand this and know this, it makes a big difference. Now, I want to preface this by noting that Paul, the Apostle Paul, is writing the church in Colossae. They're a new church. They're a young church. What would you tell a new church? What foundation and basis would you give to new Christians? Well, you're going to see it right here. The one thing he wants to give them so that they are not deceived, that they're not pulled away, that other people do not take advantage of them, so that people do not drift away from Christ, is to talk about the greatness of Christ. That He is the foremost. That He is the greatest of all. That He is the preeminence, the supreme one of all, all that have ever lived. And this passage does a great job in doing that. Blessed are those who base their beliefs on Christ. Okay? And that is what he's getting at here. The apostle is. The Holy Spirit is speaking to him and telling Christians, you need to know who Jesus is. And you don't need to know at just a surface level. There needs to be some depth to it. That you recognize who Christ is because who He is shapes everything that we believe and everything that's true about reality. Without these, these facts here and these, this understanding, and, and it's more than just facts, it's necessary to know these things, to have a relationship with God, to have fellowship with Him, and, and to have, that, that, again, that foundation that we need. And you're going to see these things throughout Scripture. You're going to hear the things that are reflected here. They sound a lot like you might read in John chapter 1 in regards to Christ. But right now, we're going to go to Colossians chapter 1. I'm going to read verses 15 through 20. We're going to make some observations on what the Apostle Paul wants to give to them. Now, as I was mentioning earlier, a lot of the songs that Garland was leading this morning, he, he does a lot of doxologies, which is a glorification of God and of Christ. And that is, we want to recognize who God is and who Christ is. We did that some last week, and we're going to continue with that this morning. All right, so Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 to 20. This is what Paul says. This is what he's given that young church, this new church. He says that Christ, He is the image of the invisible God. Now we're made in the image of God. We're made in His likeness. But Christ is the image. He wasn't made that way. He is that way and has always been that way. He is the image of the invisible God. You want to see God, you look at Christ. All right, Because it says here, God is invisible. You can't see the one who's created the whole universe any more than you can see the whole universe at once. You can't do that. It's not possible. But what we do see is we see God in Christ. Secondly, He is the firstborn of all creation. And a lot of people say, what does that mean? He's the firstborn of all creation. So some have said, well, the Greek here seems to indicate that he means He's the foremost, and it does. But it, the Greek is prototokos, and it means, literally means He is the firstborn. And someone might say, well, is he then created because he was born? Well, think about that. When Jesus was born in the flesh, did he exist before he was born in the flesh? Well, yes. Uh, it also is going to say here he's the firstborn of 
the resurrection. Does that mean he existed before he resurrected from the dead? We'd say obviously yes. And as we continue to read here, did he exist before he was born into the creation and brought all things into being as the word that God spoke in the very beginning? So that might be a lot to take in right there if you never thought about it. But yes, he is eternal and he is the word of God. He is the wisdom of God. So again, verse 15, he's the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him, all things were created. God spoke all things into existence and created all things by him. All right, you got to understand that the spoken word became flesh. He says, in heaven and on earth, all things that have ever been created have been through Him and by Him. And we're going to see even more about that. It says, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things that have come into being, all authorities throughout time, God has known about it. Remember, we can read that in Romans 12 and how, uh, Romans 13, about how God has put the governments into place. All things were created through Him and for Him. Nobody else can be spoken of in this way. Everything that's ever been created and has all come into being has been by Christ. God did it by Him, through Him. For what end? For Him. Verse 17. And He is before all things. He's before all things. And in Him all things hold together. Now you want to read more passages about this? John 1's great. Hebrews goes into great detail about this. Hebrews chapter 1 and chapter 2. Alright? Look at verse 18. He is the head of the body. So, Paul's given this whole basis. He's glorifying who Jesus is, identifying who He is, and the greatness of Him at the beginning of the creation to the new creation, and he's saying now that Christ is the head of the body. Well, that makes sense. He created all things. He's the head of the body. What body? He says here, the church. In other words, when you're thinking about the church, and who decides what goes on in his church, Christ's church, that he bought with his own blood, Acts 20 and verse 28, that he promised to build, Matthew 16 and verse 18. He is the head of the church. He's the one who makes the decision. He is the ultimate authority. He is the anchor and the basis of everything. He is by which all things came into being in the first place and was created. And it says here, he is the beginning. Yes, he is. And not only the beginning, it says he is the firstborn from the dead. Firstborn from the dead. And someone might say, well, he wasn't the first one that resurrected from the dead. He was the first who resurrected immortal to never die again. That all that were going to resurrect, it, resurrect in his likeness will resurrect into eternal life the way that he did. He's the firstborn of the dead. It's been noted by historians that the church would not exist today except for that one key, essential, fundamental belief that we see throughout the whole New Testament that Christ bodily rose from the dead. The Bible says in Romans 10 verses 9 and 10 that if you want to be saved, you've got to believe and confess that Jesus is Lord and that he rose physically, bodily from the dead. And it is that belief and that act and that event that has created the church and started the movement of the Christian faith. Keep reading. It says he's the firstborn of the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. It depends on what your translation says there. I think most say preeminent. They might say supreme. Uh, The Greek word means he is the first and foremost. And it's been using the same word throughout the text. All right, look at verses 19 and 20. It says, For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And someone might say, Well, is he 
God in the flesh, like the pagan concept of a God where some man is a demigod and he's half God and half man. No, he is the fullness of God dwelling within the flesh. God fully dwelling within him. Not partially, not in half, but the creator of all things dwelling within him. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Verse 20, and through him to reconcile, to bring that which has been separated back together again. That is, God through Christ to reconcile to Himself all things. Now in Greek, the word things isn't there. And I think it's more likely a reference to all people of all nations being reconciled if, and it's conditional, we'll get to that. Uh, and it says, whether on the earth, these, these souls and people, who, those who are alive now and those who have died, or in heaven, making peace by the blood of His cross. There's plenty much more to get in there. It's a very rich text when you start thinking about that. But you think about that. Why, Paul, would you start right there with a new church and new Christians to emphasize that teaching? I think a lot of Christians would say, you know what, I'd rather just stick to the parables. I'd rather just stick to the basic teachings of Christ. But what we see here from the Apostle Paul is he says, no, you need to do more. You need a more richer knowledge. You need to know Christ." on a better level. And that's what we we got here. On your uh, bulletin, I did the fill in the blank like we did last week, and I intend to keep that up. Um, you let me know if you like it or not. But we're, we're going to look here again, as you're going through and filling them out, it should be on the screen behind me. We see first that Jesus is the image of God, the representation, the full likeness of God and all eternity of the invisible God. We see this, we just read that He is the firstborn of creation, and He's the firstborn of the dead. And that's fascinating to me. As I'm thinking about that, I'm thinking He is the, the one by which all things came into existence, the Word, and He's also the means by which He rose from the dead and He has a new creation. And when you become a Christian, the Bible says you are born again. You are made new. You're God's new creation already and that you ultimately look forward to that great day in which Christ will come back and that you will participate in that resurrection. Next thing we see here is God created all things through Christ, and Christ is before all things. Therefore, He is pre-existent. He's always existing. There's no idea there, as some have tried to propose, that He was Himself created. That God created all things through Him, and Christ is before all things that were created. God created all things by Christ. For what reason? For Christ. I want you to think about this personally for a minute. God created you. He made you, He formed you in the womb, Psalm 139. He knew the number of your days before you were even conceived. He knows you, He loves you. Not only that, you're created by the image, according to the image of God, which is Christ Himself. That's your value. Does God love Christ? Yes, of course. You've got the eternal benevolence of God and love of God between the Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit for all eternity. And you got that reflected in Christ and given to us that we are made in that likeness. And for what reason did God create you? He created you for Christ. That's the meaning of life. Right there. What's the meaning of life? Jesus is the meaning of life. Christ is the meaning of life. God is the meaning of life. And these things we can simply read over very quickly as we're going through Colossians and we can take a minute and think, what did He mean by that? 
Furthermore, we see this, and it's reflected in Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 3, that all things are held together by God's Word. Even now, they're created by His Word, and they're held together by His Word. They're held together by Christ. All things that exist, they continue because of Him. He is the wisdom and the power of God. If you go in Proverbs, you'll read a whole section. I'm trying to remember exactly what chapter it is. I think it's Proverbs chapter 8 where it talks about how God created everything and that He created everything and brought it into existence by wisdom, by the Word. And you see that reflected here as well. You see this echoed by, by Paul. All right, so and then we see that Christ is the head of the body. That's the church. Christ is the head. We are the body. We are His hands and feet, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, to do His work, to show the love of God in this world. And that's again because He is the firstborn from the dead. Christ is the firstborn of creation, the firstborn of the dead, so He is the preeminent one. He is the first and foremost. He is the supreme one. You could choose any one of those words and put them right there and you're accurately representing the Greek text. And, and a very fascinating thing to think about too is He is all the fullness of God. All the fullness of God dwells in Christ. He's not half God. He is God come in the flesh. Look at John 1 and verse 14. Go to John 1, 1 through 5. I was thinking about preaching on that next week. Maybe I won't now that I'm commenting on it. But you think about that. When, you, when I read this, I can't help but think about the Gospel of John and the things that were stated by the Apostle John there. And then God reconciles. He brings together back again and unites what has been separated. And we're going to see why we have this separation that has existed between us and God and how much He has loved us to bring us back into a relationship with Him, to bring us back into fellowship with Him. God reconciles all things, all people of all nations through Christ, making peace by His blood. Now, making peace by His blood is a whole other sermon. But what He's referring to here is what is often called atonement. We have life by our blood dwelling within us. And the Bible says, and when we rebelled, we have sinned against God, against the image of God. We're, we've rebelled and done evil. Um, and the way to appease that was for Christ coming again. He is the image of God and giving his lifeblood for us. He makes an appeasement and he, he stands there innocently and dies the death. The death that is due to those who have ever sinned, who have ever rebelled against God, which is every one of us. And therefore, he's made peace. I can get into more details into that, but I'm going to say that for another, another time. But I want you to notice this. Paul's giving all this because the identity of Christ shapes our fundamental belief. Every single one of them, every part of the Christian faith, from the creation in the very beginning to the new creation when God creates again in the resurrection. Every bit of it. And we've just seen that. When we read in the Bible, when we read and how God says, I am the first and the last in Isaiah, and we see Jesus Himself saying the same thing in the book of Revelation, that He is the first and the last, the beginning and the end, the Alpha and the Omega. That is Christ. And it makes sense. He is the beginning of creation. And He is the end, completion, goal of it all. That's why all things were created by Christ, through Christ, and for Him. It all comes together. So what do we do with this? Okay, I got this, this deeper understanding, and as I think about this, what does that do for me? How does that help me? How does this help this, this young church? Well, all I have to do is keep reading. In fact, we could back up a little bit and read some other verses being here, but I want you to look at this. These, what are these truths about Christ and what they do? Colossians 1, 21 to 23. Why is this so important? He says, and you were alienated. 
hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. Okay, that was the state of us, of all people who have sinned and acted in rebellion, which is everybody who's in an age of accountability has done some act of rebellion against God that you separated from, you've been alienated, and so you need to be brought together again. So it says here, He is now reconciled, Christ has, in His body of flesh by His death in order to present you holy. So no longer is the law and our rebellion held against us. Christ has taken it upon Himself. And now the holiness of Jesus is counted to us. Now we are now holy and blameless and above reproach before Him. So then on the day of judgment, there's nothing against us anymore. We stand by God's grace and His mercy because of the love of Christ. And we keep reading here, he says, there's a contingency in this. You know, some of you use this passage and they'll, they'll read and they'll get down to verse 19 or 18 and they'll stop and see. You see, Christ is going to reconcile all things to himself and they'll teach what is called universalism. All people are going to be saved. But no, that's not what it says. If you keep reading here, he says it's contingent. It's, it's dependent upon you doing something. And what does it depend on me? It's this. If you continue in the faith. If. You know, I've got a lot of people who say, well, you can't fall from, from grace. Well, Galatians 5, 4 says you can fall from grace. Or someone will say, um, you know, you, you're, you can't lose your salvation. But when we read these if statements throughout the Bible, we continue to see it, and this is one of the key ones. If indeed you continue in the faith. If I continue to believe, believe what? Just everything we just read and we understood about Christ. And then what else about it? That we're stable and steadfast. Because when we have this belief and we know who Christ is, we're not shifting from the hope of the gospel, which has been proclaimed. And listen to what Paul says. It's been proclaimed in all creation under heaven. The gospel has gone throughout all the nations of the world, is what he said. And of which I, Paul, became a minister. And on the other hand, we, we have this message from the world telling us, okay, you believe in Christ, but can't you blend in some other beliefs, some other religions, some other ideologies with it? Can't you take what society is telling about what is now right and wrong and what they've changed about what's right and wrong and mix that in with Jesus? Aren't there other traditions and philosophies and ideas you can bring in? So that's another thing that the apostle is concerned here with. He knows that when their foundation is Jesus and they have the right view of Christ, then everything in the world is saying, add this to Jesus. Change who Jesus is, change who God is, and it won't have any effect on you. They want us to mix these things together because, well, the world tells us you, you shouldn't offend anybody. Don't offend them. What do we see about the Christian faith? If you don't accept Christ and you don't accept God, is the Christian faith offensive? Yes, it is. Should we apologize for that? No, I'm not. I'm not going to apologize for Christ. I'm not going to apologize for who God is because it offends your pride and who you think you are. I believe in God and I believe in Jesus and I know the life and the example that He is and I'm not going to compromise it and I'm not going to mix it with anything else. We need that foundation. Apostle Paul, in the whole beginning of this, he says you need to have this foundation. You need to have a greater depth of knowledge of who Christ is, so that you stay away from these things. 
He says here in chapter 1, verses 9 through 10, same book. And so from that day we heard, and we have not ceased to pray for you, and some about their conversion and coming to the faith and the formation of that new church, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. We want you to be filled with knowledge. He keeps saying, why do you need to be filled with this knowledge? So as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. Someone might say, well, I have struggles in my life and I've got other priorities. And that's telling in itself. I got all these things going on and I'm struggling with this sin. Take some time to think about your creator, to think about Christ, to think about who he is. So as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work. And why else will we do good works if we're not doing it to give glory to God and Christ? Well, I might do it for myself or to get along with other people, but that's not a good, good reason, is it? Bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. All of it is to give glory to Him. And He gives warning about this. Again, why He's teaching this and why Christ is the head of the church and why Christ is the beginning and the end of everything and why He has all authority it's because of this. He wants to make sure that they're not deceived. This is a part of our scripture reading this morning. Chapter 2, 8 through 10. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition. According to the things that we hear today. Well, according to this expert who says this, millions of years ago this happened, and well, God's not a part of that picture. When someone says, they come up with a new idea or philosophy or way of... of social living or a new way to live sexually or come up with a new gender or whatever they might come up with. It's all in contrary to God's creative order. It's a new human tradition of man and has no place in being mixed with Christ. And it says, according to the elementary principles of this world, they come up with these things and not according to Christ. For in Him, that's in Christ, all the fullness, there it is again, all the fullness of deity, all the fullness of God dwells bodily. That's present now. Christ resurrected from the dead. He's at the right hand of God. He's there bodily in His resurrected body. And God dwells within Him fully. And He says, And you have been filled in Him, and He is the head of all rule and all authority. He rules over everything. And Paul comes down to this, and he says, Christ is the substance. That's it. He's the substance of everything. He's the point of everything. Before we conclude this morning, I want you to think about this. So he continues on with the things that people can... Churches can be led away, led astray. And he says, you've got to have that basis of Christ. So chapter 2, verse 16 and following, he says, Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food or drink. You're kind of missing the point, aren't you? If it's, you're going back to the old law of food and drink. He says, in regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath, those are things from the old law. These are, he says, are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one disqualify you insisting on asceticism you know what that is you know some people they'll, they'll sin and they think they should beat themselves or they'd be severe to their body because oh I, I have an addiction and maybe it'll help me overcome it he says that it won't help you these things that people make up he says insisting on asceticism and worship of angels there's that jewish mythicism he says going on in details about visions you hear people today I go on YouTube and I'll see the shorts that are come on there or Instagram. People will come on there and I'll put the hashtag Bible in. I want to see things, what people are saying about the Bible. Half of them are individuals coming on there and saying, I just got a vision from God today. And then they just start spouting heresy. 
things that aren't in the Bible. He says, he wants to warn against that. Your anchor's Christ. He says, go on in detail about visions, puffed up without reasoning, reasoning by his sensuous mind, not holding fast to the head from whom the whole body, that's the church, is all held together, nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments. It grows in growth that is in God. That is our basis and foundation. And he says, and if Christ, you died to the elementary spirits of the world, why is it that you still... If you are still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? And so some people do this. They come up with new rules and new regulations. Do not handle this. Don't touch this. Don't taste that. He says, referring to things that all perish that they, they use. According to who, who's, whose commands? Human precepts and teachings. These have an indeed appearance of wisdom. We have a lot of things today where people say, I'm an expert in this. Listen to me. They appear wise and that they teach contrary to God and Christ. They have an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they're of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. The only one who can help us is Christ. I hope this morning we think about this. I'm constantly thinking in my studies, I want to know Christ more. I don't just want anecdotal stories. I don't just want a list of morals. I want to know who God is and who Christ is. And that the things that I'm following are not arbitrary. They're all based on the identity of my Creator and one who's made me and by which I'm made through Christ and all things are for Him. And everything we have in the Bible, none of it is arbitrary. None of it is made by a whim. None of it is just made up. Nothing, none of it is a futile idea or some law that, somebody, that God would just say, you know, follow this law, there's no point to it. There's no such thing. Your view of Christ, it means everything. It means everything, the value of your life, and where you're going, the direction that you're going, and your view about Him. And what we've seen to this morning exemplifies that. Now, if I had a sermon number two for the next 30 minutes, I could go right here from Colossians 2. Will we follow the example of Christ's death, burial, and resurrection? As an invitation this morning, we want to give this to anybody here who's not obeyed the gospel. Listen to what Paul says here in his study. He talks about putting away sin in the world. He talks about the faith that's involved in that. And he says, having been buried with him in baptism. Baptism is a burial, a burial of the old self. In which you were raised with him through faith. It's by faith that you do this. God raises you up. In the powerful working of God, God does it, who raised him from the dead, just as he rose Christ from the dead, he has that power in your baptism. And you were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh. You were dead in sin. God has made alive together with you, has made you alive together with him, with Christ, having forgiven us all of our trespasses. Thank God for that. When you've been baptized, you rise in the newness of life. God has forgiven you of all your sin. You're made alive in Christ and you live by him. This morning, if you haven't obeyed that gospel, we encourage you to do, to, do that, to be raised with Christ from baptism. So you, all, the, your, all your sins would be forgiven, not some of them. I, I've mentioned this before. I've had some people before say when they, they're being baptized, I get this question a lot. Are you telling me all my sins will be washed away? Every one of them. But I, you don't know the things I've done. The scripture repeatedly tells us all of your sins will be washed away. As long as you walk in the light and continue to pray to your Father, all will be cleansed. 1 John 1, verses 7 and 9. This morning, you want that freedom? 
You want that purpose. You want everything in Christ. You can have it. You can obey the gospel. You need prayers. We encourage you to come. Let's sing together.